welcome to Lecture 8A of MGI 515 IT Service Quality Management. We are getting into the ISO 20,000 clauses. We are going to talk about Clause 5, in particular leadership, within the ISO standard. Now, as we have found out already, the clauses and sections within the ISO standard are not detailed. They're not lengthy sections of a document. They don't have a lot of text in them. And yet, they are typically full of very dramatic and profound sweeping statements that have a big impact on the organisation. One of the most profound is probably Section 5, which is all about leadership. This has the potential to have some of the most dramatic changes for an organisation that is considering ISO 20000 compliance. This fact is not really unique to ISO 20000. It is perhaps more aligned with ISO and standards in general. The ISO standards and most international standards hold that for an organisation to be considered certified in adhering to a certain standard, this has to be fully embraced from the top down. What the standards look at doing is defining what that means, what that looks like. When it's embraced by management, well, how does management embrace something like a standard? And it breaks down what that looks like by being very clear as to what the obligations on top management are really all about. So the leadership section within ISO 20000 is trying to make it very clear what the obligations are upon the top level of management in the organisation, the most senior level of accountability. Because if they don't have full engagement at that level of the organisation, further down, there's likely to be challenges, there's likely to be conflicts, there's likely to be infighting, there's likely to be changes in direction. So the strategic direction of the organisation, which is what's governed by the very top few decision makers, must be aligned with everything that needs to happen in order for ISO 20000 to effectively work within the organisation. Now the ISO documents are fairly clever in their wording. They only have a few short sentences, but the precise wording of those sentences bears some scrutiny because each word is usually chosen very carefully and very deliberately. For example, at the very beginning of 5.1 Leadership and Commitment, it says top management shall demonstrate leadership and commitment with respect to the SMS. Now, a key point here is that it shall demonstrate. It's not enough under ISO to simply have a policy or to simply sign off on a project or sign off on some minutes of a meeting. Top management needs to demonstrate their commitment, not just once, but on an ongoing basis. This is spelt out by points like saying that it shall demonstrate leadership and commitment by ensuring that the service management policy and management objectives are established and are compatible with the strategic direction of the organisation. So it's saying that there's no wriggle room here. Whatever direction the company is going in or the organisation is travelling in, top management will ensure that it's aligned with the service management policy or vice versa. But they'll also make sure that this plan is created, implemented and maintained. And this is where we capture the understanding that this isn't a one-off initiating, kick the ball rolling and walk away. By making it clear that top management is responsible for maintaining it, 
It's showing that it is an ongoing obligation. It has some practical things that it asks top management to do because top management controls the authority and it controls the distribution of that authority down through the organisation, the allocation of authority and power. So what the standard requires is that top management must ensure that appropriate levels of authority are assigned. So in reality, every level of delegation and exactly what gets delegated where starts from the very top. The point of this is to make sure that those who have to make decisions further down the authority chain have the authority to do so. And if they don't, that is a failure of top management to make sure that that's taken place. This essentially makes top management ultimately responsible for the level of authority that occurs even at much lower levels down in the org chart. We could say that at very deep levels of the org chart, the authority there gets delegated from the step above that. And maybe we could point the finger at that layer and say, well, they're not delegating correctly. But who gave them the authority with which them they are delegating? Well, that's from the next layer up. And where did they get that authority from? The next layer above that. So ultimately, the past the buck goes all the way to the top and says, well, if your authority that you start with is not being distributed effectively, that's your problem. The standard then makes top management responsible for some of the really big definitions, ensuring that they determine what constitutes value for the organisation and for the customers. What does value look like? Making sure that there's enough control of the other parties that are involved. Ensuring that the SMS and all of its requirements and how it works integrates with any other part of the organisation's processes or practices that is necessary because if there's any kind of issues drama conflict if there's silos in between only top management can fix that and the standard tells very clearly that they must fix it and then we get point g one of the biggest ones ensuring that the resources needed for the sms and the services are available don't short circuit the resources this is pretty blunt and this is the kind of challenge that a lot of IT departments struggle with in getting the resources to meet what's expected of them. Well, under the ISO regime, there is no excuse for not providing adequate resources. Of course, there'll always be debate about what constitutes adequate. But the bottom line here in black and white is the resources need to be ensured by top management. So once we have these key things sorted out, it's also up to top management to communicate how important this is. Starting with how important service management is in general, how important the service management objectives are and the SMS that's going to deliver them, how important value is to us, to the organisation, to the customers, how important the customer's perception of value is to the success of the organisation, how important ISO 20000 is to us and how all of this works together and with the service management system. So this essentially is making sure that the service management system achieves its intended outcomes. Is it doing its job? That's top management's responsibility. Now, in practical terms, they're going to delegate that. They're going to delegate that to a CIO who may delegate that to an IT manager, and there may be a couple of layers down where most of the activity takes place. But there is no way for top management 
to avoid their responsibility for what actually happens. Because in point J, it's saying that top management is responsible for directing and supporting persons to contribute to the effectiveness. So if any individual, if any employee, if any person within that structure needs help, needs support, doesn't have what they need, top management's responsibility is to fix that. Now, if we're not expecting the CEO to be walking around to people's desks asking them what they might need or how that they could help, that's probably not going to happen. But what will happen, what should happen, is that whatever authority the CEO passes down will go with it the requirement that people are not meant to be left out in the cold. Individuals that need help to get their job done will get the support from wherever it's needed, above or below or beside their layer in the organisation. Having somebody who can't get their job done is absolutely not an excuse for not delivering on the requirements of the service management system, according to ISO 20000. It's not that person's fault, according to the standard. It's the organisation's fault, and most specifically, it's top management's fault. And of course, they make sure that it's not just a one-off by saying that top management must promote continual improvement, must be on board with continual improvement, and that means must provide all of the other guidance, resources, and support necessary for continual improvement to occur. Now, that's the heavy lifting that goes on for leadership and its relationship with the ISO standard. It then gets captured in policy. So... Making the decisions isn't enough. The standard requires that top management shall establish a policy that meets certain requirements, that's appropriate, that gives a framework for setting objectives, that includes a commitment to satisfy, so saying that we will get the job done adequately. We're not committing to having a go. We're committing to satisfaction. And we're committing to constantly improving it, being satisfied being adequate now is not enough we need to continually improve what we're doing and that's what the policy needs to set out because the policy is the thing that the rest of the organization and even those outside of the organization can refer to for guidance to understand what the directives have been from top management it's not enough that other parties might know the standard and say well because you're iso compliant I'm assuming that your top management has made all these decisions and knows what it's doing. That's not good enough. ISO says, no, it's all written down. It's all captured in this policy and it's communicated. Top management explicitly is required by the standard to make sure that the policy is available as a document, that it's deliberately and proactively communicated to the organisation. Not, well, it's there if you want to look for it, if you're curious, but it's actively pushed out to people. And, of course, separately available to anyone else who needs to see it. Now, the last point in 5 is 5.3, which is the organisational roles, responsibilities and authorities. Now, this has already been hinted at a little earlier. It's saying that top management needs to make sure that all of the responsibilities and authorities for any role that's relevant to the SMS have been carefully assigned and communicated. That not only do the people involved know, but everyone else knows where the authority lies and where the responsibilities lie. But it's also saying that this is the feedback loop that 
top management needs to make sure that they remain in control and in charge of what's going on. Because it says that the SMS needs to conform to that document, needs to conform to the roles and authorities, and that the reporting is not just there to ensure that people downstream have the power to do their job, but it's also to ensure that the reporting back upstream to top management provides all of the information and is timely and is appropriate so that the performance of the SMS can be proactively managed by top management and that they're never, ever in the dark. Because that would be an excuse, and excuses aren't allowed. This brings us to the end of Lecture 8A. Hello, and welcome to Lecture 8B of MGI 515 IT Service Quality Management. We are going through the ISO IEC 20,000 document, and we are up to Section 6, which is regarding planning. Now, at this stage of the standard, we're still dealing with the issues that occur prior to really getting into the teeth of our SMS. We're still dealing with the things that happened before. And when I say things, mostly dealing with decisions. So before we can look at actually working or doing an SMS that's compliant with the standard, we need to plan a certain number of things and make sure that they're all happening in the right way so that the SMS that gets built upon that can work as effectively as the standard requires. Now here, we're going to start to see a lot more that looks like plain, common, obvious sense. A lot of these statements here are inarguable because they make powerful sense. They're very obvious logic. But that's not the point behind the standards. The standard isn't really trying to tell us what we really should already know. It's not trying to educate us on some nifty, new, fantastic way of thinking about something. It's simply providing a checklist that says, well, if it's that obvious, we're going to put it in writing to make sure that no bright spark simply forgets it. So it's not so much about let's be really clever, let's be really detailed, let's be really powerful. It's more about let's just not drop anything. Let's not forget anything. Because all this stuff is kind of obvious if we stop and think about it. Well, what the standard is saying is we're not going to rely on someone just thinking about it. We're going to explicitly make sure. So in the planning section, we have some powerful but obvious broad sweeping statements that says things like, when we're planning, we will take into account 4.1, which is the context of the organization. So when we plan anything, we'll think about who and what we are. Now that seems obvious when we hear it, but 4.1 tells us to consider everything. It tells us to take everything into account. So when planning tells us to look at 4.1 and to take that into account, it's essentially saying to us that our planning doesn't miss anything. Planning needs to consider everything. In the context of the organization that 4.1 covered and the requirements that 4.2 covered. And when looking at all of that, we're looking at what we are and what we want our SMS to achieve for us, then our planning is about dealing with the risks and grabbing the opportunities. And even when describing in very simple terms what this planning is meant to do, it's meant to make sure that the SMS can do its job, to make sure that the decisions we make before and surrounding the SMS means that 
it can achieve its intended outcomes and also not do the other thing. So to prevent or to reduce all those undesirable things, avoid problems, avoid the negative, avoid anything we haven't said we explicitly want and to continually improve it. To not just be satisfied with where it's at right now, but to continually improve on an ongoing basis. Those are pretty simple, obvious, logical statements. And yet, the standard tells us that those are the things that we must achieve with our planning and decision-making. We get a little more guidance from the standard next, because it tells us that, well, we need to document and determine things like risks, risks to the organisation as a whole, or risks to not meeting the standards. What if the SMS doesn't do exactly what we expected to? What impact would that have for us? What would that risk look like? We need to know. By knowing the implications of failure, we know how much we can tolerate playing around the edges of allowing failure or how much extra investment we might need to do to make sure we avoid that failure. But there's also risks involving other parties, other entities, anyone else that needs to be involved in the service lifecycle. And that can include things like partners that we depend upon or anyone that's involved in the management of those services. But we also need to know all about how the customers are affected. We need to make sure that we are documenting the impact on customers, not just if things go wrong, but the impact or the effect on them if the SMS does what it's meant to do. From all of this, we will get an understanding of how we are going to deal with risks, how we might accept risk. What, what kind of risks will we accept and what kind of risks won't we accept? What's our risk appetite as an organisation for the delivery of these services? This will let us understand what risks we won't accept and those are the ones that we need to do something about. So an approach then needs to be documented for how we will manage risks. And this approach will be broad and it'll be encompassing and it'll define those risks that we will try to mitigate, those risks that we will try to avoid, those risks that we will try to assign. It'll define an approach for risks in general. So it's telling us that we need to have a plan for all of those risks. How are we going to respond to them? How are we going to react to those risks in advance or perhaps closer to their realisation? And how are we going to map or relate those risk responses, the ways in which we might address these risks? How does that relate back to what the SMS actually does, the processes and actions that occur within the SMS? How do they get affected by these decisions that we're making that says this is how we're going to address risk? Because without that connection point, we might say, well, these risks are unacceptable. But unless the SMS actually changes what it does in such a way that it's doing things differently to respond to that risk, to react and deal with that risk, then the organisation isn't taking the risk seriously enough. Now, it's worth noting, there's a mention here about ISO 31000, uh, provides principles and guidance on risk management. It's worth also noting that as it stands today, risks are considered either positive or negative. So a risk could be a negative threat or it could be a positive opportunity. The word risk still covers both. That may change 
in future editions of ISO 31000. But for now, we need to be able to look at it both ways. And even in the future, we need to know that the term risk is used in this way at this point to deal with everyone who is still going to think about it in those terms. Now in 6.2, the standard is asking us about the service management objectives and planning for how we're going to actually achieve them. So we're planning to say, well, this is what the SMS will do and this is how it's going to achieve that. So the first step is to establish the objectives. Now, like most things in the standard, it's not telling us what those objectives need to be. That is, up to the organisation. But it will tell us how we need to define them. It will give us some rules on how we specify, document and establish what these objectives are. It'll tell us things like, well, they have to be consistent with the service management policy. That's the policy that was written, decided and distributed by top management. And we talked about that in Section 5. So the objectives of the SMS must be consistent with that policy. They have to be measurable so that we will know later whether or not we're doing it. They have to take into account all of the requirements, in particular of all of the interested parties. They have to be monitored and monitorable. They have to be communicated so everyone must be able to understand them. And of course, they need to be updated. Now, these are once again fairly obvious requirements for a set of objectives. But the standard is being explicit to make sure that we get all of these attributes right regarding any of the objectives of our service management. So once we have a list of what our objectives are and we've written or compiled that list within those guidelines, we then need a plan on how to achieve them. And once again, there's no silver bullet of how we're going to do this. But whatever the how is we need to decide it. So we need to know what's going to be done and what resources will it take to do it. We know who is going to be responsible for it because without an allocated responsibility, it will not get completed and there will be no accountability. We also need accountability for timescales. Not only what's going to happen, who's going to do it, but when will it be done by? And how are we going to know whether or not it's been successful or whether more work is required? What are we going to measure that with? How are we going to measure it? How are we going to compare it against what measurements that we're going to be judging? Now, this would sound like the kind of requirements that you would see out of any planning for achieving objectives. This is the kind of thing you might see out of any one of a thousand meetings that occur amongst staff members on any given day. Action items out of the meeting. Well, who's going to handle it? When are you going to do it? What do you need? What's it required? and how we're going to know if it's right. Fundamental principles of planning to achieve objectives. Common sense enshrined into a standard. The last point in 6.3 is says, well, we're going to create a plan. We're going to write it all down. We're going to take everything into account, all of the things we've just talked about and more, and we're going to create this plan that will include references to some very specific things. It's going to have a list of services. Those are the services that the SMS is going to deliver. It's going to include the things that make it hard or the limitations that say, well, we can't do more because. What's going to impact those services? What are the limitations that we know about that mean that we can't move beyond a certain point? What are the hard and fast obligations? Let's be clear on the things that we don't simply want to do with our SMS, but the things we have to do. 
the legal requirements, the contractual obligations, the things that have expectations outside of our whims and fancy, the stuff that we need to be very clear upon cannot be wished away. Must be clear on where the authority will lie and where the responsibilities will lie. All of the resources necessary, and that's all. So that's all of the human resources, including things like skills and skill sets, the technical resources, the equipment, the information as a resource, and obviously the money. Everything that's going to be needed. Because if it's not on that list, it probably won't be provided, and therefore the service management system won't deliver. There needs to be an approach for working with other parties. That's about relationships. How do we work with other interested parties, whether it be customers or other suppliers or partners? What is the approach that we will take as an organization, as a service management system? That needs to be documented. There needs to be an alignment on how that's going to function. What is the technology used? What level of innovation are we operating at? What kinds of technologies are in? What kinds of technologies are out? And how are we going to measure whether or not this is successful? So what are the KPIs and the critical success factors that we're going to be looking at? How are we going to measure those? What audit procedures are we going to have? How are those results going to be reported? To whom? How often will they be reported? And what action will need to be taken? Who is required to read them? All those reports that we often see that no one ever looks at. That can't happen in ISO 20000 because this plan of the service management explicitly says, well, this is the people who are responsible for reading those reports because they have responsibilities for demonstrating, for knowing whether or not that particular outcome is meeting expectations. And then, just in case we thought we had a little bit of wriggle room, it concludes with saying that other planning activities shall maintain alignment with the service management plan. So just when you thought you might be able to sneak something out from under, no, it's all locked down. This is the end of Lecture 8B. Hello and welcome to Lecture 8C of MGI 515 IT Service Quality Management. Barreling through the ISO IEC 20000 document, we are up to Section 7, which is about the support of the service management system. Here, we're talking about everything that's going to be needed, everything that's required in order for the SMS to function correctly. So this is why I talked about the support of the SMS. It's everything that underpins it. And there's some obvious sections, and it breaks it down into some sections here. It talks about resources. And this is a, a grab bag of all of the resources that are going to be consumed. Now, interestingly, that's just one section, and it's a very simple statement. It simply says, provide all the resources. And this is already hinted at when talked in the planning section, in section six. But it's talking about the human, the technical, the information, and the financial resources needed to do everything. Thou shalt not shortcut. You'll have it all. You'll have what you need. But it goes beyond that, and it elaborates further until we get to even talking about the documentation that's necessary. And because a lot of organizations tend to be quite interpretive and subjective when it comes to what they're going to document and how they're going to document it, it's one of the reasons why in Section 7 
the ISO standard gets pretty particular with exactly what we will document. A lot of the other things we can make subjective judgmental decisions about, like 7.2, competence. Now here, it's saying simply the organisation shall make sure that everyone has the competence necessary to do what the SMS expects of them. Now it doesn't explicitly say technical skills in an IT service capacity. We might immediately think of technical skills and that would be largely appropriate. But it doesn't exclude management skills or leadership skills. Those are just as important in the competence requirement of a good SMS. So it says we've got to know what the competence of our people are, know what the competence that is required, ensure that anyone who has a responsibility has the competence necessary to deliver upon it. And that competence, by the way, is not knowledge or skill or experience. It's all of that. Everything that they've been taught, everything that they know how to do, everything that they're familiar with is all part of a person's competence. And if necessary we will take action to improve their competence and evaluate it. So if we're going to have a standard that says people need to, need to have a certain level of competence, then we need to have a way of proving that, which means we need to have the right kinds of assessment, the right levels of competence to know what kind of training people need so that we can subsequently say, well, these people are capable. It also says, 7.3, people need to be aware of certain things. This leads to and comes from communication, which is 7.4. But it separates the two. It's not saying simply we need to communicate stuff because that can be construed as a one-way path of information. We send info out. We communicate. That's a push. That's a send the knowledge out. That doesn't explicitly require people to capture that knowledge, know it, and keep it. But 7.3 does that awareness. What do people need to know and know about? They need to know about the service management policy, the objectives of the service management system, whatever is services that the SMS has that's relevant to their role and their job and their function, how they contribute to the SMS. What, what is their role? What is their contribution to success? And perhaps more frighteningly, knowing what happens when they don't. And this is an interesting point because it's saying that it's not enough for people to know what's expected of them. They need to know what it means when they don't. Because what the standard recognizes is that it is human nature to subvert these decisions, to say, well, look, you know, those decisions that expect me to do A, B, and C, they were made at a level far away from what I do. And what I do here, I'm better able to make a clearer decision here in the moment. And I've decided that C isn't really needed, at least not today, uh, because I feel like I'm better empowered to make this decision. And, you know, these policies, these dusty documents that are telling me I have to do A, B and C, well, I'll take it with a grain of salt. That's human nature. The standard says anyone, everyone, needs to be aware of what happens if they do that, what happens if they think that, what happens if they drop C off their agenda for the day. Because maybe... If they know what happens, maybe they won't. Now, communication is about, like most things, not missing things, not missing out, not forgetting. 
Communications operates to a plan, and the plan says what are we going to communicate, when, with whom, how, and who carries the can? Who's responsible for that? So it stipulates who, when, how, but also it says this person's job is to make sure that what, when, whom, and how is all handled. So not only do we have a clear statement that says, and this is all the communicating we do, and this is it explained in great detail, oh, and it's Fred's job to make sure that stays current and stays right and happens right. So if at any point top management needs to say, well, is this communication happening correctly? Well, we check in with Fred. Because Fred's responsible for it. Then we get to section 7.5, which is kind of the heavyweight of section 7, which is documented information, what we have to record. And there's a lot of it. And a lot of it is quite explicit, primarily because it is vulnerable to being overlooked or being given short thrift if it isn't explicitly stated. It's often a defense mechanism against the very natural tendencies for documentation to suffer in the interests of getting the next task ticked, the next box ticked, the next activity done. Well, what the ISO standard is saying to us is that these documentation activities are just as important because without them, without making sure that all of the documentation happens, we can't prove that we're compliant. And the moment we can't prove that we're compliant, we're not reliable. We have risks. Now, it starts off fairly potently by simply saying that the organisation's SMS shall include documented information that's required by this document. That is to say, anything that is required by the standard to be documented must be documented. So if we kind of missed before that it was telling us to document it, now it's telling us again. Its next statement is even more sweeping and broad. It simply says we document everything that we need to document that's necessary for the effectiveness of the SMS. Now, it gives us a little bit of leeway here. It's one of those rare places in the standard where it immediately inserts this little, yeah, okay, but everyone's different and it'll vary and don't panic. Look, you're just recording what's relevant for you, right? So it gives us that little gentle pat on the back that says, no, don't worry, uh, every, every size organisation is different, all the complexity is different, you can do it your way, but don't miss anything, right? That's the message. It even goes so far in 7.5.2 of saying, well, thou shalt actually create the document gives us details that says, well, it needs to have an identifier. Now, we're back into that obvious logical territory that says, well, of course, a document will have an identification and a description. Well, perhaps, but we've all seen those policy and procedure documents out there that somehow got lost, misplaced. They didn't have the right identification info on them. This makes sure. The format. Actually, it doesn't tell us the format needs to be the same but it says that the format needs to be defined, needs to be appropriate. And we've got to make sure that the format is appropriate. We can't just do it any old how. And that it gets reviewed for suitability and kept up to date. These documents need to be controlled. Once again, it's not enough to simply have this stuff. We have to make sure that it is controlled on an ongoing basis. So the control makes sure that it's useful, like that it's available for the right people when it's needed. 
that it's protected from things like loss of confidentiality, like being protected from being exposed or viewed or improperly used, or protected from loss of integrity. And this is things like version control. We've all seen those situations where there's multiple versions of one document because people have emailed them around and they have them in different individual files. People are referring to the old one. We need to protect our documents from that in order to control them. So we then get this simple checklist of the kinds of things for the service management system that must be included in the documentation. And once again, we're back into that obvious territory. There's the scope, the policies, the management plan. We've already discussed that earlier. Change management policies. The processes, the requirements, the catalogue, the SLAs. These are things that we will recognise from things like ITIL that are part of the functionality of IT service management. So if it's important and relevant in IT service management, it's probably going to be one of the documents that needs to be recorded for the SMS to function. It then says, well, here's your catch-all. It's saying, okay, 7.5.4 does give you a list, but that's not all. There are other documents, and uh, if you feel they need to be recorded or if they should be recorded, make sure you do. So even there, there's no out. There's no hiding from that. Now, if at any point we felt that there was some loophole in the documentation, in the recording, if there was some loophole in what we need to provide in terms of competence, communication, awareness, information, if we thought there was any gap whatsoever, ISO 20000 comes and plugs that gap with section 7.6, which is simply knowledge. And this is yet another one of these catch-alls that says, well, any knowledge that the organisation should have, needs to have, in order to run their SMS and the services themselves, need to have it, determine what it is, and maintain it. So this is things like expertise within the way we do things. This would be the, the practices, the policies and procedures, the way things are done around here. Not just the generic technical understanding, the sort of things that could work in any organisation, but the things that are unique to this organisation. The knowledge about the organisation and about how it does its thing in order to make sure that the SMS runs effectively. It's basically saying we need to know all of this about how we do our thing. and We need to protect that knowledge. And it is specific to the organisation, it's specific to the SMS, but it's far more vast and it's far more fragile than most organisations understand. And this is to protect against things like the brain drain phenomenon. If we lose a large amount of personnel, if we lose or we fire or, or section off whole departments and teams, we lose a lot of the corporate's organisational knowledge. Under the guidance of ISO 20000, knowledge needs to be protected. That might influence how we go about handling that knowledge, the people that have that knowledge, recording that knowledge, getting that knowledge out of people's heads and onto certain documentation so that they can share it and other people can absorb it. So regardless of whatever else we might need to do with information, knowledge, details, if we know it and it's useful, we've got to preserve it. This is the end of Lecture 8C.